Yud Tet Tammuz, Tafshin Ayin Tet, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Shir Lamaalot, Hashem <laughs> Yosef Karduner, 
or Karduner, with his classic Shir Lamalot, <coughs> done in a cappella style, as we uh, open our first three weeks program for uh, Tavshin Ay and Tet. Welcome one, welcome all to this week's edition of The Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network. We're here each and every Monday immediately following J.M. and D.A.M., 9 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Israel time, and around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is, that's the time we're on. That's pretty simple. Also, you can get us on the archives, which are available on the Nachum Siegel Network website, nachumsiegel.com, nachumsiegel.com, and... Even better and easier on the app, on the NSN Nachum Siegel Network app, which is available for free for Apple and Android. You can download the show onto your device when you're in Wi-Fi and listen to it in the car when you're driving and won't have any additional costs. It's so convenient. And of course, you can listen to all the other great programming here at the Nachum Siegel Network. We uh, we have uh, uh, the music mix that we present every week. So this week and next week, it'll be appropriate for the three weeks, the the the, the dire straits, Bein Hamitzarim, Meitzarim, between Shavuot Shabbatamuz and Tish Abav, we will have. This week and next week, the week after we'll be off. The week after, which is uh, the Monday before Tisha B'Av. So we go with this slow and inspirational Israeli music, and there's lots of it, and we will share it with you today. We have some. Cra- we have a great story. Um, Netflix announced uh, that at the end of the month, on July 31st, actually they're gonna they're uh, releasing a movie called The Red Sea Diving Resort. And I got it. This is one of the most amazing stories. It shouldn't surprise you that the Mossad is involved. Big time. You got to hear this story. So stick around. We'll also uh, give you an update on the elections and lots of other stuff. So stay with us. On the Nachum Siegel Network, my name is Mayor Weingarten. This is the Israel Show. Here is Yonatan Rizel with Katonti. Sadi, Mumikol, Hayemet, Shasita, Eta, Deha. 
Yonatan Razel, Katonti, a classic, which became uh, almost a theme song of the last uh, war uh, in Gaza, which was, what was it, four years ago, five years ago, I don't remember, around, just around this time of the year. Thanks for joining us here at the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten, you're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network. A little later on, we're going to tell you this This is an impossible-to-believe story about the Israeli Mossad and an operation that they um, put together in the middle of Africa to save Jews. 
It's almost like Entebbe was nothing compared to this. I shouldn't say that. It's not true. But, but, but it's, it comes close. And uh, as we mentioned, Netflix will release their version of it. I hope, I hope their version of it is, um, is not tainted by politics. A little bit about Israeli politics. Elections coming up in, uh, in September, September 11th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, more importantly, coming up August the 1st is the deadline for um, the parties to submit their lists to the election committee. After August 1st, it's set in stone. You can change it. So if parties want to join with each other in order to create a technical block, what's called technical block, which means it's two parties. They're close in ideology, but not exactly. But they don't want to be in a situation where they don't reach the threshold of 3.4%, in which case all the people that voted for them, their votes would go down the drain. In order not to do that, they come together in in a technical block, it's called. So uh, Otsma Yehudit, for example, did that with Abayit Yehudi last elections. And... Um, Moshe Feiglin, who ran on his own, ended up wasting about three Knesset seats worth, and uh, Bennett and Shaked, Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked, who had a better chance, according to all the polls, than uh, Moshe Feiglin, also didn't make it. They were very close. They were a thousand something votes away, which is really close. Uh, but they didn't make it either, so as a result, about a quarter of a million votes of the religious Zionist um, ele- uh, um, voters went down the drain. If you don't reach the threshold, your votes don't count for nothing. It's crazy. Last night, in Israel, right after the fast of Shiva Sabatamas was over. Naftali Bennett, who's already has a little bit of a five o'clock shadow beard for the uh, three weeks, and Ayelet Shaked called a news conference in which they announced that they will be running together again. That was not clear what would happen there. They are uniting. Naftali Bennett is giving up his leadership, his number one spot in the party, and he's giving it over to Ayala Chakhed. So she will now be at the head of the party. Now, that's not where it ends. This was step one. They even said that, or alluded to it. This is step one. Step two is now for them to get together to unite with somebody else so that they don't reach the same situation that they did last time where all the votes went down the drain. Who could they unite with? Moshe Feiglin, if, if, if he'll go along, it's hard to say. He seems to think that he can run on his own, but I have a feeling that he is ripe for uniting with somebody, and Bennett and Shaked would be probably the most appropriate candidates for that. 
So, if that happens, you would have Fagelin, Bennett, and Shaked, and they would be heading up a right-wing party, a party that is more to the right politically than Benjamin Netanyahu, and uh, religiously is more to the left <laughs> than the Bayit Yehudi. The Bayit Yehudi would end up probably getting together with Otsma Yehudit, which um, are called by the media the, Kahan- the Kahanists, although they're not exactly Kahanists, otherwise they wouldn't be allowed to run. They ran together in the last election. It's actually a conglomeration of three groups. They are considered Hardalim, Haredi Leumi, much more right-wing on the religious issues. And so they would create, and this is the idea, create two separate religious Zionist camps, blocks, options for voters. One, for those that consider themselves Haredi Leumi, or in that area, people that might have voted for Eli Yishai in the past, for, for Shas. And another camp, which is religiously to the left, I don't know how to... I, 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 know, I never know how to describe these things, but for lack of a better term, we'll say... I don't want to use any term. Less Haredi. Religious Zionists that feel too crammed in by the Haredi Lumi camp. So they would have that option. And hopefully that would give everybody in the religious Zionist camp a party that they would feel comfortable with. The only find the ointment over there would be that there is a third party in the works from the Hardali religious Zionist camp. It would be a party under the auspices of Rav Tau who is the leader of a few thousand influential and, and very um, very active people. He's the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshivat Har Hamor, which has other sort of satellites, other Yeshivot that are, are in that line or under that rubric. They're called Yeshivot HaKav, much more Haredi Leumi. And um, if that happens, it would be a terrible thing because it would create yet another situation where votes would go down the drain. So I'm not really sure if that is just a threat as a power play in order to get a representation in the in the bigger party or, or it's just, unfortunately, a situation where people think that their ideology is very pure and they don't understand politics and as a result they go into a uh, an election not realizing 
that all they're doing is hurting their own cause. Something that we just learned our lesson about not that long ago in April. On the left, they're trying to do the same thing. On the left, they're also trying to get together. The left is very weak. You have Meretz, which is the far left. You have the Labour Party, now led by Peretz, who combined with Orly Levy, both of whom are into a more, less concerned, let's say, with the um, geopolitical situation, more concerned with the social situation that takes place in Israel, helping those that are in need of help, more more toward the uh, social democrat um, line. And then, yet another spoiler and another ego that comes in the way, Ehud Barak, who we spoke about last week, who's barely at the threshold in all the polls, although we don't trust polls, but they give us an indication. So in both camps, you have the same situation. Then in the middle, you have the two big parties, the Likud and Kacholavan. Kacholavan, led by the um, four generals, they're called. The four generals and Yair Lapid. Likud led by Benjamin Netanyahu, of course. So they're going to be the base, but each one of them is going to have to put together a block. It doesn't really matter how many votes they get. It matters how many votes the block has. So Kahol Avan can rely on merits, can rely on labor. Can it rely on some of the religious parties? We don't know. Maybe yes. Netanyahu, who would get first pick, who can rely on the religious parties and he can rely on and uh, he can both, uh, both the Haredi religious parties and the religious Zionist uh, uh, parties and Shas, all those he can rely on. The problem is, and that's what happened in this last election, is that he can't rely any longer on his former friend Yvette Lieberman, who in the polls at least is getting a bump by leading an anti-Dati, anti-religious campaign that has worked in the past it seems that uh, when you go when you have nowhere to go you go to the anti-religious campaign that's where it stands hard to say if there's going to be any change at the end of the day Israel is split at this point in time the right wing has a higher number of supporters because of foolishness they won the uh, they won the battle but they lost the war so to speak so we will continue to look and see as I always say we don't make predictions here we just try to give you the best analysis possible and that's what we're trying to do um, 
Coming up a little later, people who were uh, guests in a Red Sea Diving Resort hotel, beautiful, on the shores of the Red Sea, had no idea that their vacation was being taken care of by the Mossad, who was actually running the entire resort. (laughs) Why, when, what, who, all that we'll get to in just a little bit. Here is um, Harp and Love, Im Eshkachich Yerushalayim. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Im lo alay, im lo alay, et Yerushalayim al rosh simchati. Yerushalayim Harp and love, and Yerushalayim is uh, what this uh, three-week period is all about. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. I said before that I didn't remember how many years ago Mivtzatzuk Eitan took place. It was, in fact, in the summer of 2014, so it was five years ago. It came on the heels of the kidnapping and killing of three young men by Hamas operatives. We all remember that time. 
it was at that point also that the tunnels were discovered in a big way. They were discovered before that in a small way, but in a big way, the tunnels from Gaza into Israel were discovered during that operation five years ago. Wow. Mayor Uziel is a um, well-known journalist. He writes uh, serious and satire, both. Been around for a very long time. Also happens to be my mother's first cousin. So he's my first cousin once removed. Pointed out in an article late last week... A very cute little clip that I want to play for you. So, the background is that on this past Shabbat, Prime Minister Netanyahu became the longest serving Prime Minister in Israel's short history, overtaking the previous record holder, who was, of course, David Ben-Gurion. Netanyahu was first elected in May 1996 when he beat Shimon Peres by a tiny, tiny majority. It was 50.5% to 49.5%. And at that time, Netanyahu was Prime Minister from June 96 until July 99, basically three years. On election night, 1999. It was Bibi Netanyahu against Ehud Barak. And Netanyahu was resoundingly defeated by Ehud Barak. 56% to 44 a landslide. And what happened that night is that when the results were in, about half hour after results came in, And it was clear that whatever problems there were with the the polling stations, whatever, that are not accurate and so forth, whatever it is, Netanyahu lost. He got up and he made a speech at the Likud headquarters saying that he's taking responsibility for the loss and he's resigning as the head of Likud and taking a uh, break from politics. And everyone was stunned. And everyone gave him a lot of praise for doing something that usually is not done in Israel. Taking responsibility by politicians. And as you can imagine, election night is the same thing here in America. You have a panel of commentators and and from the right, from the left, and the media, and it's a big circus on the TV. And that night on Channel 1, amongst the commentators that were there, was uh, somebody who was considered still to this very day uh, a great authority as a political analyst Amnon Abramovich is his name as an analyst goes 
let's say that impartial he is not. He is very anti-Netanyahu, anti-the right in general. He has a very sharp tongue. I will add in parentheses that he is a hero of Israel. In the 73 war, he was terribly injured when his tank was hit and burnt, and he made it out alive, but suffered massive burns on his body, which you can see to, the very day, to this very day. So he, when Netanyahu made this speech... He, he said, I want to take a historic look at, uh, at the situation. I'm going to play the clip for you. It's 30 seconds, and then I'll translate it for those who don't understand it. But um, it shows you how political pundits are just... Uh, if, if people would do this on a regular basis, go back and check what political pundits... And analysts said, and how true or untrue they uh, their predictions came. I wonder how many political analysts would still be standing. So here's Amron Abramovich live on TV the night of elections 1999 in Israel. After Benjamin Netanyahu says he's taking a break from politics, post this big loss to Ehud Barak. אני רוצה לומר מילה אחת על נאומו של בנימין נתניהו ולדבר לשנייה אחת על היסטוריה. מנחם בגין המנוח עשה את הסכם השלום עם מצרים. שמיר שיחיה, האיפוק הגדול במלחמת המפרץ וועידת מדריד. רבין המנוח, הסכם עם הפלסטינים עם הירדנים. בנימין נתניהו יורד מבמת ההיסטוריה ללא חותם כלשהו, ללא הישג של ממש. הוא יהיה הערת שוליים, אם בכלל, בהיסטוריה של ראשי הממשלות בישראל. So Amnon Abramovich wants to show how much of a nothing Bibi Netanyahu was as a prime minister for the three years. So he says, Menachem Begin, he made the peace agreement with Egypt. Yitzhak Shamir held back during the Gulf War and didn't attack, basically listening to the Americans. That goes to his credit, according to... uh, Abramovich, and in the and uh, he also went to the, the Madrid conference. Both of these things, by the way, Shamir hated, but did because of American pressure. But Abramovich uh, puts it on his plus side and made history. You know, this is how each one of them made history. The late Yitzhak Rabin, he says, made a uh, the Oslo Agreement with the Palestinians and peace with the Jordanians. But Benjamin Netanyahu, he says, is now leaving the stage of history with leaving no impression whatsoever. No accomplishments. He will be nothing more than a footnote, if even that, in history in the history of the Prime Ministers of Israel. (sighs) And uh, 
this past Shabbat, he became the longest serving prime minister in Israel's history. A footnote, if that. To this day, by the way, I don't know if he apologized or even just corrected his misdiagnosis of Netanyahu. That he would be nothing more than a footnote in history. Maybe Avon Avramovich will be a footnote in history. It's interesting also that this is the same political commentator that publicly told his fellow journalists that they must, must all go easy on Prime Minister Ariel Sharon because of his plan to evacuate Gaza. So don't attack him and don't hit him. Don't bring up any issues. We have to keep him like you would keep an etrog wrapped up so that it doesn't get hurt. And uh, since then, that's become a uh, a verb. La'atreg is to make sure that somebody is properly taken care of and not hurt in any which way. After this uh, Nurit Galron song, we will tell you all about the Mossad and its operation of the diving resort in Sudan. It is sad to die in the middle of Tammuz, the month of Tammuz, almost a prophetic song written by Naomi Shemer, who died on the seventh day of Tammuz, sung by Nurit Galron. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Nurit Garon sings, Naomi Shema wrote melody and words. So here is the story. In the uh, early 1980s, Prime Minister Menachem Begin met with the head of the Mossad and told him, bring us the Ethiopian Jews. It was well known that there was a community of people who had kept their Judaism for 2,000 years while they were totally disconnected from the people of Israel, from the rest of the Jewish nation. It's well documented. You can find information about it all over. Ethiopia... is not the greatest place to live and it was getting even worse and many of the Jews of Ethiopia decided that they're going to start to to get out they're going to try to get out and they're going to start to walk toward one of the other countries with the hopes that they'll be rescued legendary stories about these Jews walking for months in the desert. Many, many died along the route. Or were killed along the route. Menachem Begin told the Mossad, find them, get them, put them together, and get them to Israel. And so they started taking small groups, finding them at uh, two little places, Gedaref and Kasala, where they encamped. Both of them were in Sudan. Not that Sudan was much better than Ethiopia, but at least they weren't in Ethiopia anymore. And the Mossad went and tried to get as many of them at a time to somehow fly them to Europe under false passports and then get them to Israel. But that was a trickle and many, so many were being... Uh, We're being lost. You're talking about over 10,000 people who had walked five hundred over 500 miles by foot to get to Sudan. But the Mossad realized that this is not going to work. How many people could we get out like this? So they started looking for a place, the Mossad did, started looking for a place. Now, Sudan, one of the borders of Sudan is the Red Sea. The Red Sea leads all the way up to Eilat. 
So they started looking for a place where they could bring Navy vessels, Israeli Navy vessels, get the Ethiopian refugees onto these vessels and get out of the area and sail them to safety in Israel. And then, lo and behold, on the beach in Sudan, pretty far from where the Ethiopians were, but still, they found a place called Arous, A-R-O-U-S. And there they saw what looked to them to be a resort hotel. Unfinished. Sitting there, desolate. That beautiful chalets, beach, scuba gear. Right near the coral reefs. A scuba diver's dream. What could you say? So the Mossad figured if we could get hold of this place, we could renovate it. We could say that we're running a diving village, a resort hotel. And that's the reason that we're in Sudan. And that's why we're hanging out near the beach all the time. There were 15 sort of like bungalows. There was a kitchen, a dining room. But it was abandoned by its original owners because they just saw that there's no way that they're going to be able to operate it. They needed fresh water supply, they needed road, there was no electricity, it was just, it was impossible to finish. And so uh, the Italians who initially started building this, just, they, they left it, and they left it right there, just desolate. To quote one of the Mossad people, it's a very difficult place to run if you don't have the Mossad behind you. So, a group of Mossad agents posing as uh, employees of a Swiss company went to the government of Sudan and convinced the authorities that they have a business proposal of taking over, renovating the resort hotel and renting it for three years at the cost of $320,000. So for a whole year, they renovated the Mossad renovated this resort hotel. They struck a deal with local suppliers to get fresh water, to get fuel. They put in air conditioning units, water sports gear. As one of the Mossad agents said, we introduced windsurfing to Sudan. They got a few like 10, 15 people, local people to be chambermaids and waiters, driver. But the actual day-to-day operation (laughs) was run by a female Mossad agent. They thought that would lower suspicion. So now you have this resort 
They have to operate it. They have to have guests. They have to, I mean, it's a front, but they got to make believe it's real. And it was, it became real. So while seeing to their guests during the day, ever so often at night, a squad of Mossad agents would leave under cover of darkness and head to a rendezvous point six miles south of Gadarif, which is where many of the Ethiopians were. And they made up stories for the staff that they're going out to Khartoum or for this or whatever it was. They would get a group of Ethiopians, smuggle them out. They would bring them by truck. And this was very dangerous because Sudan is a Muslim country. There are no Jews there. It's a dictatorship, and if they would know that the Mossad is operating to rescue Jews, they would have been killed. As one of the articles that I read says, um, a convoy of trucks carrying dozens of bewildered refugees drove a two-day, 800-kilometer journey, evading detection at numerous checkpoints along the way by a combination of guile, bribery, and occasionally ramming their way through. They'd get to the beach of the resort. Israeli Navy Special Forces. You understand? The Israeli Army and the Mossad are saving, are liberating, are redeeming Jews that had been disconnected from the Jewish people for 2,700 years. So the Navy... Boats would come, collect them, and take them out. They, they came in Zodiac dinghies. That's a type of boat. You probably know what it is if you've been to Israel. They would transport them for about an hour and a half out to the Navy vessel that was waiting, and then the ship, ship took them to Israel. So it was constantly in danger if they would have been caught. And thank God they weren't. What happened was that this resort village became so successful that it turned enough of a profit to become financially (laughs) self-sustaining. Much to the relief of the accountants back at the Mossad headquarters, some of the money earned from guests was used to buy a rent, the trucks that took the refugees. This is an unbelievable story. And guests that stayed there who had made a long trip, it's not easy to get to, um, let's say you're from Europe or wherever, to get to Sudan, not exactly the vacation spot of the world. But the guests who stayed there said they had the most marvelous time. It was very well run. I guess any hotel that's (laughs) resort that's run by the Mossad would be run pretty well. And it made a, a big name for itself. And all the while, it was only there for one purpose, to get more and more Jews out. Eventually, you know, they had to get more Jews out faster, and they did the famous airlifts with the huge planes that came and took them on the wings of an eagle to the land of Israel. Eighteen thousand 
were ultimately brought from Ethiopia to Israel. What a story. Netflix is uh, putting out a movie. I don't know how they're going to, you know, slant it maybe or not. It's it's based on the story, but they, they've taken, like always in Hollywood, they take liberties with it. So, don't know. Uh, it's coming out July 31st on Netflix. We're going to close out the show with yet another memory of uh, Tsuk Eitan five years ago. As Srim Ish, Ariel Horowitz wrote the song after the uh, amazingly emotional funeral of Sean Carmeli, a lone soldier who had no real friends in Israel or relatives. A call went out on Facebook that this lone soldier was killed in battle and his funeral is tonight in Haifa. And unbelievably, 20,000 people showed up. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. We're going to post on our Facebook page, besides the links to the songs that we played, we're going to post an article that describes the Red Sea Resort um, that was run by the Mossad in greater detail if you want to read it. Uh, coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, happy birthday, Yoni Pollock, with After Further Review, <laughs> covering the latest in the world of sports, and then Novik now with Jake Novik, and Jake looks at what's motivating Poland's push for Holocaust revisionist history and explains who is really pushing this behind the scenes, and then the great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following Jamie and Dame, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. Oh no, oh no, they're just running in a different race. <laughs> Come on, 